It is good to see you guys this morning. We're going to shift some things around, do a little, a few things out of the ordinary. It's just something that we're trying to do and push forward to be able to be a little bit more creative in how we do worship and end with worship this morning. So take your Bible and turn to John chapter 14. We're going to get to work immediately. Y'all with me on that? So here's the deal. I am so thankful you're here this morning. And if it's your first or second time here, whether you're engaging us online or whether you're here for the first time live, I would really encourage you to do one of two things. You can text in the phrase NEW2RH, and that's going to send you what was called a virtual connect card. You fill that out, that's going to come to me. Or there's a connect card inside of your worship folder. Fill that out. And as you fill that out, on your way out, go to our guest services table. We have a gift for you, and we want to encourage you and, and uh, help you get connected in the life of our church. Well, as you came in this morning and as you, uh, your kids came in, I made sure that I asked everybody this question. Did you enjoy your first week of school? And this is the responses that I've got. The parents said, absolutely. And the kids were like, eh, that kind of stuff. You know, third grade and younger, they're like, yeah, I love school. I love school. But about the time they start to smell, that's when they start to hate it, right? And so uh, it was uh, really encouraged to see that. We've been praying for you if you're a school teacher or work in the school system, knowing that you have a difficult, difficult, challenging job and asking God to bless you in that. Well, we're starting a new teaching series this morning called Dealing with Doubt or Just Doubt. Because the reality is all of us doubt God. All of us doubt aspects of God. All of us doubt things of Scripture. I read a quote years ago that the most devout monk who's taken a vow of silence sometimes looks in the mirror and says, is this really real? Have y'all been there before? You've done that. You've gone to the History Channel. You've opened up the Discovery Channel app and watched a documentary and thought, man, this, is, this, this God stuff can't be real. Specifically when it comes to the Christian God, understanding who Jesus is. Did he really rise from the dead? Is he really forgiving? Does he really love us? And does he have a wonderful plan for our lives? Doubt creeps into every part of our psyche. And over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to deal with those aspects of doubt. We're going to look at this morning, does God exist? And so last week, we dealt with mental illness and how uh, we need to normalize that and how there's a plan for you and you're safe here in our church to be able to walk through different things. So it was highly emotional service, and it's been a highly emotional week. This week, we're going to switch to the other side of the brain. We're going to deal heavy with logic and reason and thinking through how scripture speaks to some of those issues of doubt. So we're going to look at how sometimes we doubt God's existence. Then we're going to walk through, is, does God have a plan for me? Have you ever doubted that? You ever just sat back and went, man, what is your plan, Lord? Sarah Beth and I have been married probably three to six months, and we were really grappling with the idea of leaving our current location and jobs, which we loved. Felt like God may be calling us to southeast Louisiana which is a foreign mission field. Um, and uh, I just want to pause there and time out for a second. The church we started in Louisiana this morning, I would encourage you to pray for them. It's called Crossroads Church, and they moved into their first permanent facility this morning. They've been waiting 19 years. Uh, and so uh, we are so grateful for what the Lord has done there. Um, and we were struggling about whether we should move there or not because we're leaving family, we're leaving normalcy, we're leaving sweet tea. They don't have that in New Orleans, believe it or not. Uh, and I, I, I don't know why. Um, but
But we were leaving all those things, and I'll never forget looking up at the sky. We were sitting on the edge of a, a truck um, tailgate because that's what we do in Georgia next to a lake. And I said, Lord, if you could just paint it in the sky. Have y'all done that kind of stuff before? We doubt God's plan. Have you ever doubt, doubted God's goodness? Is God good? We look at the world today. It's like, man, where is God's goodness in this? And then have you ever felt so guilty, so ashamed, or done something so wrong you doubted God's permanent forgiveness? Yes, right? So we're going to wrestle with these. These are big topics, but we want to begin at the basement level because that's the, where the foundation is built and really helping us understand does God exist and is Jesus God? Those are the two things we're going to wrestle with. And listen to me, guys. We are not going to exhaust this topic. It's not going to happen. There have been libraries built around this topic, okay? So we're going to skim the surface a little bit, but we're going to approach it from John chapter 14. As you know, I love, and this is what this church does, and I believe all churches should do, we should be digging into Scripture, understanding what Scripture says, making those applications to our lives. And so we're going to deal with that. But I want to start this morning by quoting an atheist philosopher. Never done this on, on Sunday morning before. So I want you to understand, this man uh, was, was certifiably insane. Uh, he had a lot of issues, but his philosophy during the 19th century laid a foundation upon which many other philosophies were built upon. I'm going to prove that in just a second. His name was Frederick Nietzsche. You know who that is, right? So here's the deal. He wrote this statement. Maybe you've heard this. God is dead. You ever heard that before? And this is a long statement. God remains dead, and we have killed him. How should we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all the world has yet owned, has bled, uh, the world has yet owned, has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it all? Here's his point. And I think he's not celebrating this idea. What he's doing is he's, he's rather dreading it. He's saying that because of reason and insight, the ancient traditions of the past have faded away, and the reality and the morality of God are dead. And then we ourselves have to become smaller gods. That thinking has permeated culture for generations. Because with the absence of God, there's an absence of morality. It becomes about what makes me happy. It becomes very egotistical and egocentric in everything that it does. Think through this for a moment. After this statement was made, it began to, just through the Enlightenment period in Europe, began to catch like wildfire fire throughout the entire world. Within 50 years, there was forced atheism through communism and, and Nazism. Socialism began to really ramp up, and people began to really think through this, what was culturally prevalent. Not only that, because of the Industrial Revolution, this began to fly on the wings of eagles around the world to the point to where we are now, and we're all having, having to be politically correct because of one factor. God is what? Dead. That thought 
put together with the idea of what happened in World War I and World War II with the mass tragedy and bloodshed, with Darwin's Origin of the Species book in 1859, and by 1870, it became what most people thought was scientific facts, both educators and scientists, began to, call, began to really provide a runway for what's happening currently now and what we deal with what we call deconstructionalism. Have you heard that phrase before? We're called to deconstruct what we believe. Now, let's think through this deconstruction because it's not always a bad thing. Because some things we do need to deconstruct. Things that aren't true, things that are habits, things that are moralism, things that are legend. But we have to reconstruct around the person of Jesus as a Christian and find out what the Bible says and come back to that place. All of that being said, we have to come back to really thinking through does God exist now before we jump in this morning I want to give you a couple of attitudes I think you need to approach here because here's the thing let's just it's just me and you talking all right I grew up in the south of the south does that make sense I mean I grew up during the 70s and the 80s and dude if you question God here bruh you were awful, right? You were a bad person. Even if you believed in God and you just had a question, it was like, well, how do you believe that? And that kind of stuff. So I, I, I want you to understand, before you throw stones at me, all right, here's the deal. There's a couple attitudes I think the church needs to have. I think you and I need to have. First and first, foremost is that thinking and asking questions is not a bad thing. You know, God gave you a brain. Use it, okay? There's a book by a guy named Josh McDowell who's a great apologist, uh, during my generation and the generations before, and he wrote a book called Check Your Brain, Don't Check Your Brain at the Door. And what we've seen over generations of Christianity is they take the brain out. We even see that now to where church becomes highly emotional rather than, complete, than reasonable as well. They go together, guys. So don't, don't, don't think thinking is bad. Science is not a bad thing. Science is a wonderful thing. What, what, what do you mean? Well, I mean, because we have science, we can cure diseases, we can grow crops, and we get to enjoy air conditioner. Praise the Lord. Right? Science is good. Some of the strongest Christians I know are scientists. Next thing is, you need to understand this. If you deal with doubt, people have always dealt with doubt. Always dealt with doubt. Well, what do you mean by that, Chip? Well, we've always made ourselves little gods. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where the serpent said to Adam and Eve, did God really say? And that's when doubt crept into the world for the first time. It's always been there. So, all of that in mind, here's what we want to do. How do we respond to doubt of God's existence? And we're going to deal with it in two ways. Are y'all ready for this? The first way is this. We deal, how do we deal with doubt when other people doubt God's existence because that's a big deal you have people in your life that don't believe in God right everybody say yes and and we're going to deal with that and then we're going to deal with doubt when you doubt God because there's been times in your life when you've doubted God everybody say yes heretics I'm sorry here we go just joking <laughs> but we all have we all walk through those things. So let's jump into the text here. We're going to use this as an outline and begin to really hone in in some of the stuff. And we're going to eat, a, we're going to do, I mean, this is going to be eating meat and taters this morning, all right? 
hopefully you'll be full but i want you to not check your brain at the door listen to what's happening john chapter 14 verses 1 through 7 jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says this do not let your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me now that's a huge statement here because what jesus is saying is if you believe in god the father understand i'm god too all right that's a massive statement that statement and the ones we're about to read in just a moment rock the world this is not something you flippantly read over he is making a proclamation here then he goes on to say this my father's house has many rooms if that were not so what have not what i've told you that i'm going there to prepare a place for you we love that phrase don't we the imagery for many of us is we're all going to get mansions when we get to heaven no you're going to be at the throne of god and that's much better than a house keep reading and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come back and take you with, with take you to be with me that you also may be where i am interesting right there he's talking about the return of christ which we are waiting for as the church you can't believe in that if you don't believe that jesus is not god now we'll come back to that you know the play, you know the way to the place where i'm going now then thomas who is probably my favorite disciple of all the 12 now here's why he has a nickname do you know what it is doubting thomas i love that and can i can i can i just say this all of us have a little thomas inside of our minds right we're all we all have a little thomas and sometimes he gets a bad rap but i kind of like him because he just said what everybody else was thinking all right his filter was not working that day all right any of y'all got that problem this is a genetic predisposition for some of you here we go here we go thomas said lord we don't know where you're going so how can we know the way all right i really want you to focus in on that word how how is a great question why is a great question how are we gonna get there god jesus how do we know this is legit why did this happen if if you're not a believer and you're not asking those questions you're not going to go deeper in your faith i mean i'm being real with you now keep rolling now jesus answered to me this is one of the most theologically significant verses in scripture he says i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me if you really knew me you will know my father as well from now on you do know him and have seen him all right rich right here okay and we do not have time to exhaust this but i want you to understand when you have someone in your life who deals with doubt and you dogmatically believe in the existence of god and that jesus is god and when you're doubting yourself the way you first and foremost and here's your first principle this morning have to approach this is with compassion this is huge because our knee-jerk reaction to respond to things that contradict what we so much believe in is anger agreed if somebody differs with you we fight that's not necessarily the jesus way is it people we should not be great at protest we should be great in serving and the most important thing we have to remember is verses one through four let's go back to it do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in god believe also in me my father's house has many rooms if you were if this were not so what i'm told you that i'm going to prepare a place for you and if i go to prepare a place for you i will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where i am you know the way to the place where i'm going that is extremely compassionate for jesus here He's saying, I'm giving you a future. 
I'm giving you hope. I'm giving you life. I'm giving you afterlife. You with me on this? And even though the next thing out of one of his top 12 guys' mouth was, how? And if he's God, we, knew he was, he knew, we know that Jesus knew he was going to say that, right? It's compassion. Well, maybe that doesn't prove it to you. Let's take it to another level. The night before Jesus was crucified, he brought all the disciples together and washed their feet including of the feet of the man he knew was going to betray him named Judas hear me people when you have a hard time with doubt and you're asking questions go easy on yourself you're not a bad Christian because you ask questions and when someone in your life walks into your house and they say I disagree show compassion listen don't have to agree with it Romans 12 verse 18 if, it poss- if it's possible as far as it depends on you live at what? peace with everyone Galatians 6 1 through 2 I love this brothers and sisters if someone is caught in a sin you who live by the spirit should restore that person what? gently gently so important for us to understand these things and I love this next one Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. Jesus is uh, walking into Jerusalem. And it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, what did he do? He wept over it. And as he approached Jerusalem, he wept over it. In verse 42, if even you had on all of this, on this day what would bring you peace, but is now hidden for your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies... Um, uh, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and then you uh, encircle you and hem you in on every side I can read I promise and then the next one they will dash you to the ground and you and the children within your walls they will not leave one stone on another what he's saying here is he stood in front of Jerusalem he looked down on it he wept over them even though they hated him so much compassion deal with it compassionately the most loving thing you can do is pray for them listen to them and keep the door open you with me on that that's some of the most compassionate things we can do the most compassionate thing you can do for yourself is give yourself a break okay now let's get into the meat and taters though verse 6 let's go back to that Jesus makes that statement I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me principle number two when we deal with doubt personally and when we deal with that with other people here's the point you have to give them and you have to respond to this with direction you have to respond to this with direction understand what Jesus is saying here I am the way that's an important thing there because when he makes that pronouncement in verse six in saying I am the way He's saying a couple of things here. First of all, he's saying, he's using this phrase. Let's go back to verse 6 in chapter 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's look at this really closely here because there's a, there's a lot of things going on in this verse. First of all, he uses the phrase, I am, which if you're in Jewish context was a big deal. If you go all the way back to Exodus, we find there that Moses is standing in front of the burning bush and he, God says, I want to send you back to Egypt to get the people of Jeru- uh, get the people of Israel out of bondage and bring them into the promised land. You remember the story, right? And Moses, who stutters and has a lot of self-confidence problems and is also a murderer, says this. When they ask me who sent me, what do I say? 
and God speaks to him and says, tell them that I am sent you. And what that literally means is I cause to be what I cause to be. And when Jesus makes these statements and saying, I am the way, this is on purpose. He's calling himself God here. He says, I am the way. He's given a complete and total direction because he's saying, I'm God. And not only that, his existence is in me and his existence is real. But let's think about this because there are a lot of theories to God's existence here. We've heard them all, right? You went to school, I went to school. You've heard about the Big Bang Theory. We've heard about Darwinism and how that works out. And, and we want to look at creation, see it scientifically, but see it spiritually as well, right? I think it's important to do that. So let's think through this for a moment. Let's deal with this question. If we're going to say that God is the way, that Christ is the way, there's an existence aspect to that, right? Does God exist? Or is it just chemicals in the universe that collided together, created the planet, had one cell beings that multiplied, they crawled out of the ocean, and here we are? Is that how it works? Well, before we throw stones at that, let's just prove God's exist for a moment. Y'all with me on that? And we're going to use it, we're going to deal with that using something called math. Now, how many of you hate math? Let's just all raise our hands at once. There's a couple of you here. Daniel in the sound booth loves it. He goes home at night, and he has math crossword puzzles. He's weird. All right. But some of you are so, like me, you see a math problem, and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't, hold on. Oh, you, all right, 100 plus 100, hold on. 101. You know, that you still you can't even type right. Here's the deal. Let's use it like this. And we're going to use it from the perspective, and I'm not an expert on this. We're going to use it from the perspective of probability, okay? Because the idea is, and this is the general, general thought behind this, is that all these chemicals are around in the universe. They collide together. Boom, something happened, and a creative order was started here on this planet. And everything worked. Human beings and other animals needed oxygen, while other ones needed carbon monoxide, or, or not monoxide, dioxide. Uh, that would be bad, Okay? <laughs> Because there's a creative order. Here's the deal. Carbon dioxide, like the plants do. All that being said and done is this. For a big bang or something like that to happen, here's the thing. I love this. The probability of all of that happening is 10 to 158th power. Now, everybody knows what that means, right? No. Write the number 10 and then 158 zeros after it. That's the probability of all those things happening. Where scientists and mathematicians say probability can't happen after a certain point is 10 to the 110th power. So we're way beyond the margins of error here. It had to be intentional according to math. Are y'all with me on this? It had to be intentional. Let me give you another way to think through it like this. Imagine that you stand in the state of Texas and they put a wall all the way around. They fill it up two feet with ping pong balls. They put one red ping pong ball and mixed it up, put a blindfold on you and said, you have one chance to pick the red ping pong ball. That is the probability of all these things happening. 
Does God exist? To take it another way, you take chapter 14 in the book of John and you cut every letter out and you throw it up in the air. And if it comes down exactly how we cut it out, then it happens by chance. But we all know logic and reason go against that, right? So when we think through this and we think through the perspective of being an atheist, which I always respond to atheists this way, and I, and I love them because they're thinking about stuff much more than many believers do. I always ask to be an atheist means that you have to know all possible things, right? Right? Because you know that God doesn't exist to the very ends of the universe. So what's on the other side of Pluto? They can't answer. You don't know all possible things, so you can't be an atheist. And that's where most people go to be an agnostic, that God created and then left us alone. So that brings us to Jesus. And when he makes this statement, I am the way, he's definitively saying that he is God. So that leads us to dealing with another struggle because God exists and the Bible affirms that it's Jesus. But we doubt the Bible. Now some people are like, how dare you doubt the Bible? Doubt the Bible. But if we were to take a survey in this room, it'd probably 50% do. So how can we believe in its authority, its legitimacy, and the fact that it is valid and true? Well, I'm not going to get into this and I as much as you would want today. We did a podcast on this, and it'll be out tomorrow morning. It's about 20 minutes, and it talks about how we trust the Bible and why. But let me give you a couple of, of them. The Bible affirms itself. The Bible is old and has stood the test of time. The Bible is historically accurate. The Bible has been tested over and over again and continues to win. And the Bible, in the Old Testament specifically, and even parts of the New Testament, has come true except for the return of Christ, which we're waiting for. There's a lot to it there. What we're getting at here is this. When you're doubting, you have to come back to this place. And when someone else is doubt, is you point to the way. You point to a direction. And then we come to this next phrase here. Notice what happens next in verse 6. I am the way, and then it says I am the truth. This is a big deal here. Not only as he continues to affirm that he's, that he's God, and you, you smell the idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, way, truth, and life in this, we have to understand that this does not leave room for other gods. So the methodology for us is this. Is well, I'm a Christian, but because I'm born in the United States, specifically in Georgia and Winder, and I live here, everybody believes in Jesus. And so, but other people on the other side of the world who have a different religious system, it's okay as long as you believe in God. I'm going to give you two reasons why that's a problem. You ready for this? This is going to hurt your feelings. Because I'm going to tell you something. I have friends, and I know people who believe in other religious systems, and you might say it's not fair. It doesn't seem compassionate of God. Uh, there's, you know, there's, a, there's a plethora of reasons here. But I'm going to give you two reasons to why I believe this, and I think Scripture affirms it, and I think you should too. You ready for this? Number one, if there is another way to heaven other than through Jesus, then the suffering that Christ went through was meaningless. Think through that for a moment. If there is another way, why didn't we pick the easy one? If there's another way, cross is meaningless and then taking it to a new level C.S. Lewis 
who didn't just write the Chronicles of Narnia writes a book called Mere Christianity and he uses this argument Jesus is one of three things some of you have heard this before he's either a liar and everything that we built upon foundationally morality and even as a nation is a lie as well or he's been lied to he's a lunatic and everything he did was crazy and didn't make sense and we know that not to be true or he's a lord he's God it's one of those three and you can't have both we've all heard the phrase of having your cake and eating it too right you can't have both you straddle you straddle the line of logical fallacy when you try to have both it's kind of like it's kind of like this to try to say okay Jesus is the way but others are the ways too is trying to get a snake to straddle a log think about that for a second it's not possible can't do it and I'm skimming the surface here but here's what I want you to get to in verse 4 go back to verse 6 principle number 4 how do you respond you give them direction you give them the truth and then when you deal with stuff notice what happens here I'm the way the truth and the life you give them the gospel when you're doubting you give yourself the gospel when other people are doubting you give them the gospel what is that Christ makes dead people alive spiritually that's the gospel all people do bad things and Christ died for that all people need redemption all people need forgiveness and it goes against his parents character not to punish but he chose to love anyway that's the gospel and so when you doubt apply Romans 8 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in what Christ Jesus as you doubt don't condemn yourself use it as a way to grow spiritually to learn more as others around you doubt don't condemn them they're on a journey your role as a believer is to speak truth into that journey in a compassionate way and help them work through that so with all that being said what if they and what if I still don't believe and specifically what if they don't believe after you sat down with your friend your son your daughter whoever your niece your nephew your grandchild and you've explained all this to, to them you bring out the whole idea of the ping pong uh, illustration you talk about lord liar and lunatic you deal with this you have a conversation and it goes great and they're like grandpa still don't believe how do you deal with that because you love them so much it makes you angry right you want them to it's kind of like if I could just beat this into your head y'all been there before <laughs> that doesn't work well I'm tell you as a strategy so how do, you, how do you deal with this John chapter 14 verse 15 skip a few words down he says this if you love me keep my commandments if you love me keep my commandments it's not our job to force people to believe it's our job to show people Jesus and what we say and how we live you with me on that you cannot force it 
If you're a parent and you want your child to know Jesus, and I've had this happen in years past, well, I think they're ready to be baptized. And I sit down with a kid, and they don't have a clue who Jesus is. Well, they're not ready. And parent, you can't force that. You need to take the time to share the gospel with them and help them understand it. Make sense? You can't force these things. And what if you still doubt? Well, I'm going to give you a couple thoughts here. Pray and pursue. Pray, Lord, show me, and pursue more of Christ in knowledge and Scripture. We've created a safe space here. I don't like that phrase, safe space, but let's just use it. Safe space here for you to ask tough questions, for you to walk in a complete cynic and be able to deal with that. We want you to. I want you to. We want to give you a place where you can experience and investigate God at your own pace. Pray and pursue. So now what do we do with all this? Here's how we deal with it. Here's how we finish this. This is your one step of application. Are you all ready for this? Here we go. Act on what you know. See, that's it right there. Act on what you know. With others and how you treat them, with yourself and how you seek him, and with the Lord and how you worship him. Act on what you know. Live it out. I'm going to give you an assignment this week, a Bible reading plan on Bible.com or the Bible app. It's called, Is God Real? So for those of you who struggle with this doubt and its existence, this is a great study to begin to work through. Uh, I think it's six or seven days, and it just gives you something every day to begin to deal with with this stuff. And it might equip you to be able to answer some of those questions that other people have. You need to be equipped to do that. The knowledge is out there. Use it. So when we started River Hills, um, we there was a couple started coming to church, and I, I may have shared this with you before. Um, um, and they walk in the door, and um, immediately I was, I was drawn to them. I, I just love being around them. Uh, Amar and Maureen, uh, they've moved and are no longer in the area, but uh, I love getting to know them. And, and you just knew, you ever been around somebody and go, man, they're a lot smarter than I am? And they were. She was a veterinarian, and he was a stem cell research scientist. All right, what does that mean? Well, this is what I gather, okay? He worked for the University of Georgia. And, and, and being a vet all alone, I mean, look, when I, when I go to the doctor, they say, what's wrong with well, my throat hurts? When you take your dog to the doctor, they don't go, woof, woof, woof. You know, they don't do that. <laughs> to me, that's smart, all right? They're trying to figure that out, right? Are y'all with me on that? I know some of your vets here. You're real smart, all right? So, you know, I, I sat down with him. I said, we'd have lunch, and, and he, he, I remember sitting in a, a place one day, and he said, so what you been doing today, Chip? I said, well, you know, got up this morning, uh, some time with Jesus, went to work. And uh, this is when we had no staff and nobody in our church. There was like 25, 35 people. And I made a nursery schedule, uh, and I made a hospitality schedule and filed some reports, sent off a couple of emails. And, you know, and then I came here. I said, well, what would you do today this morning, Amar? He goes, I grew some skin in the lab well you're better than me whatever you know <laughs> and, and, and through our conversation I mean just crazy smart man and I go dude that's amazing that's fascinating stuff he goes it's not that big of a deal it's a big deal 
I'll never forget, we met at Chick-fil-A for lunch one day, and I smelled gasoline, and I thought, and, and I was like, what is that smell? He goes, well, I accidentally poured gasoline all over my pants before I got here. And I thought, he is mortal, you know, <laughs> he is human. All right, thank you. Don't light a match. And so I'll, I, I'll never forget something he said. He said he was convinced of the existence of God. It was because of science, because this stuff doesn't happen on accident. And this is a guy that spends his entire life looking through a microscope and seeing the detail of the human body. I'm convinced, that's what he said, that God is real because of what I do. It doesn't disprove it for me. And it was a blessing to baptize him and his wife later that year. There is more to this life than what we're dealing with or what we think. And the reality is our call is to turn to Jesus. Even when you have doubt, you're not going to clear this up. You're not going to clear all your doubts up on this side of it. You're not going to have all your questions answered. You might not have them answered in a satisfying way. You might not figure out why dinosaurs were here. You might not figure out how old the earth is. And that's okay. There's a faith issue and a trust issue. You turn to the Lord Say, God, you give me that strength to ask those questions and to find my peace and my hope in you. You with me on that, guys? So this morning, this is what we're going to do. We're going to spend a time in worship, but we're going to begin this time in communion. And the communion is something that Christ ordained the church to do and commissioned the church to do to remember what he did in his life and on the cross. He sat in the upper room with the disciples the night before he died. And he held up the wine, and he said, This is the, my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take this in remembrance of me. And when we drink the juice this morning, we're mindful that even when we doubt, we're forgiven. Romans 8, uh, uh, 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. And not only that, too. When we, He said, This is my body broken for you. He took the pain. He took the doubt. He took the things that we hurl at him and lived a perfect life. And so we remember what Christ has done. So the way we do communion here, if you've never experienced it before, is we take some time reflecting and praying. And as you're ready during this next song, you come forward on my left and my right and take the elements back to your seat. And then as a church together, we do it because it's called to be done in the context of a church. And we remember what Christ has done and we celebrate and we worship that. So I'm gonna pray for us. The band is gonna come up. And as I pray, you begin to do business with the Lord. And I want to let you know, some of you may need somebody to pray with. Somebody, you may have an issue that you need to work through. I'm going to be standing over here to my left, and I'd, be lo I'd love to pray with you during this time. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And God, I pray and I ask that you would move. That God, we would be mindful of the greatness of who you are. That we would be overcome with your presence. And that you would fill us with your spirit. And that God, as we doubt at times... Let us come back to the reality that you're alive. That as the evidence points towards that, Lord, let the evidence be in our changed life and in our hearts. And as we prepare to take communion this morning, I pray, God, that you would just work in us. Remind us of that great salvation and forgiveness. Remind us that we have second chances. Remind us of hope. In Jesus' name.